You're listening to The Venue Podcast. The Venue is a worship gathering at Southcrest Baptist Church. We hope that this podcast helps you find your greatest pleasure and purpose in Jesus. Grab a seat. Hey, if you have your Bible, go ahead and turn to 1 John uh, chapter 4. We're going to be in verse 13. And we are nearing the end, as you'll see, of this book. We started, I think, back in January, and we're going to be finishing. After today, we've got four more weeks, and then we'll start kind of a summer series. But um, I'm looking forward to what God has for us in 1 John 4. Again, we'll start in verse 13 here in, in just a second. If I haven't met you, I'm Brandon Hayes. I'm our next-gen pastor at Southcrest, and excited to unpack God's Word with you this morning. And hey, if you are uh, newer here, I would love to meet you after the service. We can have a little gift for you back in the back. But also, if you don't have a Bible this morning, you can grab the one that's in the chair back in front of you um, and use that. And if you don't have one at all, it's your gift to keep forever. So I'd love for you to have that. First uh, John four thirteen again is where we're going to be. Yesterday morning, I was I was reading, and our little four year old girl Caroline Tate came into where I was, and she was wearing. A, uh, a princess costume that some friends gave us uh, earlier in the week. She was very excited. She'd been wearing them every single day. And she comes into where I'm at wearing her princess dress and she says, Daddy, does Jesus love me when I'm a princess? Which is a, a good question, right? Um, actually, a little tricky there as a dad because like, you know, you're like, you're always a princess. You're always beautiful. But actually what I told her, I said, Carolina Tate, actually, yes, Jesus does love you when you're a princess. But more importantly, Toddy, call her Toddy for short, said, he loves you even when you're not a princess. Like even when you don't look like a princess, even when you're not acting like a princess, he loves you all the time, which I thought was like this deep connecting moment. And she just like changed the subject and walked off. <laughs> so apparently she wasn't too concerned about it. Um, I'm gonna come back to that story in a second because I think it actually has some relevance for what we're doing in, in 1 John. As we've been going through 1 John and seeing what John has for us, the Holy Spirit through John, one thing he's, he's hit on a lot is the idea of assurance, of confidence that you know Jesus. And so often when we talk about assurance of salvation, confidence that you're a Christian, I think we often, we kind of project that to think about eternity, which is appropriate, that's not wrong. But we kind of think of it as like, okay, it's all about the destination. Yes, I know I'm going to heaven. But what John is going to help us see with really one particular word he uses in this text we're going to see in a second, is that Assurance of salvation is not just about your destination. It's also about your journey. Like knowing that you have a right relationship with Christ impacts you even today, not just like, oh, knowing, okay, I'm saved. That'll be good in heaven. No, like right now it changes things. So to put it in, in um, the terms of my daughter, <laughs> to know that you're in a right relationship with God, to know that he likes you, that he loves you, that he cares for you, even when you're not looking like a prince or a princess, man, that, that, that is comforting to the soul. To know that you're in a right relationship with God, to have assurance that God loves you, he cares for you, he sees you, he's, he's holding on to you, even when you're not acting like a prince or a princess, man, that calms the soul. It's good for the heart. It's, it's reassuring. And the word that you're gonna see that John uses, if you look at, Chapter 4, 13 says, this is how we know, because we've heard that several times in 1 John. It says, this is how we know that we remain in him and he in us. So that key word that I love that we really haven't seen much in 1 John is remain. That's the same word, it may sound familiar, that's the same word that John, same guy, used in the gospel of John 
in John 15. Are you familiar with that passage? Are you familiar with that passage? He says uh, to abide in him, remain in him. So it's this idea of, of staying. So in John 15, uh, he's telling us, Jesus is telling us to abide, to stay with him. And kind of interesting, in 1 John 4, that is a, it's the same word, but a little different in that John's saying, this is how you know, this is how you can have assurance that you are remaining. And look at this, not just that you're remaining in him, but that he is in you. That's a pretty cool concept. So I, just for clarity's sake, I think if I could, you don't get this up front, the whole message, the whole text will kind of be like, eh, kind of fall flat a little bit. John is giving us this to believers as an encouragement. Like if you hear this, it's like, you better figure out if you're saved or not. Like it's, it's gonna fall flat. Now John's saying, again, if you look at all the context, he keeps saying, dear friends, dear friends, dear friends. Hey, if you're a believer, be encouraged. Here's some ways to know that you remain, but the emphasis is on Hey, I want you to know that you do remain. And just like to unpack that word remain a little bit more of abiding, of staying. John's saying, I want you to know that you remain in Christ and he in you, even in the hard times. I, I want you to know that you remain in Christ, even when you feel depressed. I, I want you to know that you remain in Christ and that he is your wisdom, even when you have no idea what you should do. He's saying, I want you to know that you remain in Christ and that he is your righteousness even when you have not been doing what is right. I want you to be able to know that you remain in Christ and that he is growing you to be more like himself even when you feel stuck in your relationship with God. I want you to know that he has redeemed you and you remain in him even when you feel worthless. I want you to know that you remain in Christ every day and every moment. Because when you know that you remain, that he's in you and you in him, man, there's comfort and there's peace and there's joy to be had. Anybody want in on some of that? Yes, me too. Okay, yeah. All right. So that said, 1 John 4, how can we know? Verse 13. This is how we know that we remain in him and he in us. He has given us of his spirit. First point, right out the gate. What does John tell us? If you've been given the Holy Spirit, you know you remain in God. That's our first point today. If you've been given the Holy Spirit, you know you remain in God. So been given is perfect active. What does that mean? John's saying it happened at a point in time, God giving you the Holy Spirit, and the effects are ongoing. That, that's really good news. So it's not like I'm giving the Holy Spirit and then I lose it and I have to go back and get it or I have to get a double blessing. No, that's, that's not biblical. That's silly. No, you're given the Holy Spirit and the results are ongoing. He continues to work and grow in your life. It, it's, you've been given. But John's saying there's, if you're a believer, there's this ongoing awareness of the Holy Spirit within you. John, or excuse me, Paul in Romans 8, 16 said it this way. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Then John, in the Gospel of John, uh, told us that the Spirit coming to dwell within us would convict us, would teach us, would guide us, would help us, would remind us of the words of Jesus. 
Galatians 5 tells the fruit of the Spirit. So Holy Spirit comes and lives inside us and the fruit he produces is love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness, and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. John said, if you've been given the Holy Spirit, he's abiding in you and doing those things in your life, you can know that you remain in Christ. I love Philippians 2. It says that God is work. I think it's uh, 2, now that I've started, I should just tell you what verse it is. To, um, ah, there we go. 2.13 says, for it is God who is working in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. So what, what Paul's saying there is the Holy Spirit is working in you to give the, you the ability and the desire to live for God. So like just for clarity, clarity's sake, if you find within you the Holy Spirit working to give you the ability, the want to, or the, the, the ability and the desire, the want to, to live for God, that's evidence that you remain in Christ, even on your bad days, that you're in him. A way I've illustrated this before, when we were in Ephesians, but it's, I, th- I think it's worth repeating because I think it's helpful. I, I stole this metaphor, I'm not stealing, I'm uh, borrowing, I'm a pastor, I don't steal, okay? <laughs> uh, from a, a pastor, he's passed away now, he used to be at um, Hoffmantown Church in Albuquerque, I want to say. Um, good guy. Anyways, you, apart from the Holy Spirit living inside you, if you're not a Christian, are like this jacket. It looks awesome, by the way, right? Like, don't ask me why I own this jacket. Don't worry about it, okay? <laughs> no. Um, you're like this jacket in that you're powerless. So I could tell the jacket, raise your right arm. You could all scream at it. It's not going to raise his right arm. Bless you. I could... Tell the jacket to raise his left arm, move around, do a little shimmy. It, on its own, can't do anything, right? It's powerless. But when the Holy Spirit comes and resides in you, lives in you, all of a sudden, it comes to life, right? Like what was impossible on its own now is kind of moves freely and easily. And it looks incredible, right? <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> That's why I was laughing a little too hard, okay? <laughs> so think about the fruit of the Spirit. So on your own, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, on your own, apart from Christ, those things are pretty much impossible. You can, you can fake them, you can force them, you can kind of bear down and try real hard for a while, but they're not gonna be lasting. But when the Holy Spirit lives in you, all, those things can still be difficult, but as the Spirit works in you, all of a sudden you realize that on your own, man, you could never be joyful, but oh, now I have joy in my life. Or I used to never have self-control and, and now you have self-control because the spirit is working in you. John's saying, if you can see the Holy Spirit's been given to you and you see him working in your life, then take heart, be confident, rest and rejoice in the fact that you remain in Christ and he in you. I'll take this off so you can try to take me seriously. Um, I think one, one other reason that's helpful, this idea here, is for so many of us, we, we have at times doubted our salvation because we like to compare to other people's stories, their testimonies, and we tend to idolize the 180 degree turn. Let, let me ask you, not a trick question. Should your life change when you, when you know Jesus? Yeah, it, sh- it should change. You should look different. But 
I don't think, you know, factually, even scripturally, biblically, not every story is this crazy 180, can't believe that happened story, right? Like in, in a spiritual realm, you go from dead to life. That is crazy. But as far as in your behavior and how things look, sometimes it doesn't always look that crazy. So for example, to be a little more clear, like if you got saved when you were seven or eight years old, your story, your testimony just probably not include things like, well, you know, when I got saved, first thing I did was break up my relationships with the cartel. And then I had like, like, no, like you're, you're eight years old, right? So you don't have this crazy story change. So I would tell you, if, if you're looking for that, okay, do I abide? Do I remain in Christ? Maybe it's less about how totally different you are and what God is doing in your life. Y'all with me? Like quit idolizing the 180 degree change and like, man, is God doing things in my life? Is he, is he, is he abiding in me and, and producing the fruit of the spirit? If you've been given the spirit, you know you remain. John says, I hope that's helpful. I hope that encourages you to know that you remain. And he says, you know what? Let me give you another one. Look at verse 14. So again, the context is this is how we know. In verse 14, he says, and we have seen and we testify that the father has sent his son as the world's savior. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the son of God, God remains in him and he in God. So just to kind of sum that up, our second point John gives us is this. Number two, if you are openly committed to Jesus as your Savior and Lord, you know you remain in God. If you are openly committed to Jesus as your Savior and Lord, you know you remain in God. I love this word he uses there. Uh, we have seen and we testify that the Father has sent his Son as the world's Savior. So it's simply to... to not that you're getting a megaphone and you have to get on a microphone or get on the platform and get a microphone. No, it's that, hey, I've seen who Jesus is and I'm willing to testify. I'm willing to talk about how good he is, that he is the savior of the world. So that Jesus came not just for certain people who look a certain way. No, Jesus came for anybody and everybody who will believe in him. He, he's amazing. He's the savior of the world. He says, whoever confesses, Confesses that Jesus is the Son of God. Remember, confess is not just that you, like, I confess he's the Lord. No, to confess is to pledge allegiance, that I align with Jesus, that Jesus is my Savior, that he's the Lord, as the text says, that he is the Son of God. So it's not just that Jesus is my Savior and he loves me. No, he's, he's the Lord. He's, he's God the Son. He's at the right hand of the Father, ruling and reigning right now. I'm committed to him. He says, if you testify you confess that then to verse 15 what's it say God remains in him and he in God you can know it look John's not saying when he says testify he's not saying you need to be out in the street corner with a megaphone and a big WWJD t-shirt like I don't really even recommend that right like you know he's not saying if, if you do that you can know you're a Christian no like are you open about who Jesus is in your life. You could say it this way. Is it a secret for you? Or do people know it's significant for you? Like, is it this little secret? Like, I don't want people to know. Like, my faith is kind of private. Or is it significant? You don't have to be loud and extroverted. But do, are you willing to acknowledge and, and be open about, man, Jesus has changed my life. He's good. He's my savior. He says, if that's you, you openly confess, man, take heart. You, that's evidence that you remain. 
that God has got a grip on you. You know, Lauren and I do um, lots of premarital counseling with couples. We've got to do doing several weddings uh, this summer. And if we were ever, if I was ever doing a wedding, standing before the couple, and if we got to the vows, and if the groom was like, hey man, like this is kind of embarrassing. I don't want people to hear that I love her. Like, can we go in the back? I don't want people to know. Do you think I would just roll with that? I'm pretty laid back, but no, I would not roll with that, right? Like, like if you're not willing to confess that you love this woman in front of these people, like we, there's something wrong here, right? Like there's something is amiss about the relationship. Or, um, you know, I, I do this jokingly with my wife, but like if, if I were to be out at a restaurant and see my wife, Lauren, and not want anyone to know that we were together and we have a relationship, I'm like hiding from her, you would have a right to be concerned, right? <laughs> wouldn't you? Like, wh- why is he hiding? Why is he ashamed of his wife? Something's going on. I don't, I don't wear a t-shirt with Lauren's face on it. My friend Adam back there did make some t-shirts with my face on it for Lauren to wear. So Steve will step up and do that. I'm kidding. He did make a t-shirt. It's pretty funny. Um, I don't have to wear a t-shirt with her face on it. But if I'm not willing to admit, yeah, that's my wife and I love her. There's a red flag. Are you open about the fact that, man, you love Jesus and he loves you? If you are, Take heart, be encouraged. It's evidence that you have a relationship with Jesus, that he abides in you and you in him. Let me ask you, do you ever have moments where you know you should have said something to somebody about Jesus, you know you should have been more bold and you weren't bold? Do you ever have those moments? I do. (laughs) You don't have to raise your hand, but I do. Does that mean I'm not a Christian? You're like, yep, get off the stage, bro. (laughs) That doesn't mean I'm not a Christian. If you're a believer, you're gonna have those moments where, oh man, I should have said something. I should have offered to pray for them. I should have said something. The difference for a believer though, is you have those moments, meaning you have those moments. (laughs) If you're not a Christian, it's never really gonna cross your mind that you should be bold for Jesus or that you should offer to pray for people or share the gospel. But if you're a believer, you're gonna have those moments where the Holy Spirit's tapping your heart going, hey, you, you have an opportunity here. Or, hey, see that person over there by themselves? Like, you, you should go get to know them a little bit. Take those nudges from the Holy Spirit as encouragement of number one, the first point, that the Holy Spirit has been given to you. Y'all tracking with that? So don't, so don't walk out of here, oh my gosh, I, I, I'm sometimes ashamed. No, like if you have conviction, that's evidence of the first point that you have the Holy Spirit. If you never have conviction that, man, I should be more bold for Jesus, then, man, then something to examine. So, so far we have, she's been given the Spirit. And really, if you confess, you testify, got a little guns up, I just realized. Um, given the Spirit, you testify, that's evidence that you have a relationship with God. John's gonna give us another one though. Jump down to kind of halfway through verse 16. He says, God is love and the one who remains in love remains in God and God remains in him. And this love is made complete with us so that we may may have confidence in the day of judgment because as he is, 
so also are we in this world. There's no fear in love. Instead, perfect love drives out fear because fear involves punishment. So the one who fears is not complete in love. We love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God, yet hates his brother or sister, he's a liar. For the person who does not love his brother or sister, whom he has seen, cannot love God whom he has not seen. We have this command from him. The one who loves God must also love his brother and sister. Point number three seems pretty evident is this. If you actively love others, you can know you remain in God. Again, number three, if you actively love others, you know you remain in God. You know what I just thought about literally as we were reading this was interesting? As much as, as, much as John talks about love, like it's pretty repetitive, you almost like you can sense it coming before he even gets to it. I know what you're gonna say, John, we should love each other. It's interesting, John, you could maybe argue, spent more time with Jesus than anyone. And to him, to be a Christian, is to love other people. I think that should point us back to Jesus, right? John spent so much time with Jesus. And so John's understanding of the Christian life is to love other people. I think John was, or I think Jesus was pretty loving. (laughs) That was John's big takeaway. If you actively love others, it's evidence that he says that you remain in God because God is love and the one who remains in love remains in God and God remains in him. So it makes sense. If you, you're in a relationship with Jesus, well, as you're loving other people like Jesus does, that's, that makes sense. That's evidence that you are in a relationship with Jesus because that's what Jesus would do. Now, I, I wanna ask a question. It says, God is love. Is that different than saying love is God? It's a good question. See some heads doing this. You're right. (laughs) If love is God, then that means we worship love and that love is God. (laughs) But God is God, right? And God being all powerful, all knowing, in control, God, he is love. Why does that matter? Why am I chasing a tangent real quick? Because if love is God, then it means that we're always gonna, we're gonna commit our lives to just like whatever feels good and whatever feels loving. And the reality is, God is all about love. We just talked about that with, with, with John's experience with Jesus. But God is also just and truthful. Y'all tracking with me? If you make love your God, then you're gonna eventually abandon the truth. Now we cling to the truth while knowing God is love. Y'all with me? You see the distinction there? America tends to make love God, right? Like freedom, do what makes you feel good, love is God. That, that's, that's not biblical. God is God, but God is love. So it means one of his most fundamental attributes of, of who he is, is loving. It doesn't say, nowhere in the Bible will you find God is hate. God is anger. God is annoyed by you. No, God, what is so fundal, fundamental to who he is, is that he's loving. He's a God of love. So again, we just said, if you're in God, then you're gonna be 
loving. Wait, what's going on? There's some kind of interesting verses here. I'm going to unpack them just super fast. Where he says in verse 17, in this, he's talking about remaining in love, remaining in God. In this, love is made complete with us. So as I live out an active life of love, so I'm not just talking about loving people and being nice to people, but I'm, I'm actually putting my words into action. As I do that, God's love in me is made complete so that we may have confidence in the day of judgment. So me loving others is evidence that I've experienced the love of God and that God's love in me is doing what it was meant to do, which is to make me love other people. And because of that evidence shows me, hey, I have a relationship with Christ, I have a relationship with God. And therefore, I don't have to fear. I can be confident in the day of judgment. Y'all with me? So because of all the evidence, I'm walking with Christ, I'm loving people like him, God is love. Okay, so clearly God's love is doing its work in me. So, so I, I must know God. I can be confident when I stand before him. And he says, because as he is, so also are we in this world. Again, it's evidence. So as I love other people, it's evidence that I'm in a, in a right relationship with God even now. So when it says, just as, uh, where to go, sorry. Because as he is, so also are we in this world. So just as Jesus is in a right relationship with God, so if we are in Christ, even now today, you are in right relationship with God. It's going back to the idea of remaining. And if I love other people, it's evidence that I remain in Jesus and that I'm in a right relationship with him. And that's why he goes on to say, there's no fear in love. Instead, perfect love drives out fear because fear involves punishment. So the one who fears is not complete in love. He's not saying if you are a little nervous and anxious and have some questions about the day you stand before God, then you're not a Christian. No, he's not saying that. He's saying if you're fearful about when you stand before God, it doesn't, doesn't mean you're not a Christian. It means that God's love for you still has work to do in your life. It means maybe to say like in very simple terms, you don't fully grasp the love of God for you. How cool is that? So he's not reprimanding you oh, you're fearful about standing before God? You need to get your life together. No, he's saying if you're a Christian and you're a little nervous about standing before God, clearly God's love has not completed its work in you. Does that make sense? It's kind of like for my, for my son Haddon, if he is afraid that I don't love him or like one time he dropped his milk, like, dad, do you still love me? Are you mad at me? I'm like, bro, yes, I still love you, man. Like clearly he doesn't understand how much I love him yet, does he? If he's fearful of that. you live an active life of love, you can be confident on the day that you stand before God. Yes, I do know Jesus. I'm in the right relationship with God. But more than that, even today, you can be confident that you remain in Him. And again, we, we already kind of unpacked throughout this whole book what he's saying in verses 19 through 21 about man, if to say you love God and hate your brother, it doesn't go together because God is love. To give you a picture, John's saying, God is love. The fruit he bears is love. And as a believer, we've been grafted in. So the idea of remain, they even think John 15, we've been grafted into the family of God. And because God bears the fruit of love, if we're part of that family tree, then we are going to bear the fruit of love, right? Now, occasionally, do even Christians who are abiding in Christ 
are we occasionally going to bear some bad fruit? Oh, you better believe it. <laughs> the little, I got to baptize a little girl, Addison, at the 930 service. And we were talking about like, even though you're a Christian, you should trust in Christ on Easter Sunday. Super cool. You're getting baptized today. Um, even though you're a Christian now and you're getting baptized today, like you're still going to struggle with sin. But because you've now been grafted into Jesus and you're part of the, the family tree of God and he bears the fruit of love, your life will begin to bear the fruit of love. And John 15 says, Jesus says, even the, the good branches, I prune sometimes. There's gonna be some bad fruit on there. I'm gonna prune so you'll have more good fruit. Why am I saying all that? Look at your life. If the mass, the, the majority of fruit in your life is bitterness, anger, hatred, jealousy, envy, you should check that out because God doesn't bear those fruits. If the mass majority, not, not every single one, but the majority of the fruit in your life is trending towards love and joy and peace and patience and kindness, that's evidence that you have been grafted into the family of God. John said, man, be encouraged. Take heart that you remain in God. So he's given us three things. So far we've got Holy Spirit, your confession, your testimony, and then uh, do you love others? He's gonna give us one more that honestly I never even thought about until studying this text. And I almost missed it because it's just a short little part of a verse. Look back to verse 16. And remember that the context again is verse 13 where he says, this is how we know we remain in him. Verse 16 says this, and we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. So he's saying, how, how can we know we remain in him and he in us? If we've come to know and believe the love that God has for us. So just to state it clearly, fourth point is this. If you know God loves you, you know you remain in God. If you know God loves you, you know you remain in God. Now, we, we gotta talk about that for a second because that could be disheartening for a lot of people. As a believer, as a Christian, we talked about this last week, you're going to have times, you're going to have moments where, man, you don't feel loved by God. You feel forgotten by God. Like if you read the book of Psalms, oh my goodness. Like so many times, where are you, God? What happened? When are you going to hear me? You're going to struggle with that sometimes. Really, I think that the words of the reformer, John Calvin, are a little helpful with this. And that is, in talking about this verse, he said, we know because we believe. So it says we've come to know and believe the love of God for us. And Calvin's helping us understand it by saying, hey, we know because we believe. This is not, this verse is not about you always feeling like, oh, God loves me and everything's great. My life is going good and I'm God's favorite kid. No, it's about choosing to believe based on the cross of Jesus Christ that yes, God loves me that even in the midst of the accusations from the enemy, even in the midst of my own insecurities and self-doubts, I'm choosing to believe that God loves me based on the fact that he paid the price for my sin, that he died on a cross 2,000 years ago in Jerusalem. And as I choose to believe that, the reality for the believer is that over time you, you begin to not just believe it, you know it, right? 
Like, that's why I do love, I love when we, I love gathering with all kinds of believers, but it's fun to sometimes hang out with some more seasoned, uh, older believers, just to be frank, and, and to hear their confidence in God's love for them. Like, I love, um, I don't want to stereotype, but a, lot, a lot of our senior adults in our church go to the eight o'clock service in the worship center. And when I, when I preach in there, so occasionally, man, I love hearing some of the senior adults sing those hymns because, man, they, they don't just believe it. They know it, right? With time, man, God has secured that in their heart. So John's saying, not like, if you feel like God loves you, you're a Christian. That's not what he's saying. He's saying, if you've chosen to believe based on the cross, you've chosen to believe and know God loves you, then you can know you remain that God has a grip on you. Even on your hardest days, on your bad days, on your good days, He's got you. Everywhere you go, all my life, all I know, God's been good, good to my soul, or something like that we sing, right? Wherever I go, He's got a grip on me. So in summary, how can you know you remain? If you've been given the Spirit, if you're openly committed to Jesus, if you actively love others, and if you know God loves you, then you know you remain. Again, I wanna emphasize it as we wrap this up. Remaining is less about you holding on to God, which is kind of, kind of the picture of John 15 when he's saying abide, remain, stay, cling. Remain in 1 John is more about knowing that God has a grip on you. That he's got you. You know that you're safe and secure as his child, both now and forevermore. I want you to listen to the words of pastor and author, Dane Ortland. If you've never read his book, Gentle and Lowly, or his book, Deeper, highly recommend. Summer's here, students, you have nothing else to do. Just kidding. <laughs> but maybe you have a little more free time. If you're going on vacation this summer, highly recommend Gentle and Lowly by Dane Ortland or Deeper by Dane Ortland. He says this from Gentle and Lowly. Our strength of resolve is not part of the formula of retaining his goodwill. When my two-year-old Benjamin begins to wade into the gentle slope of the zero-entry swimming pool near our home, he instinctively grabs my hand. He holds on tight as the water gradually gets deeper. But a two-year-old's grip is not very strong. Before long, it is not he holding on to me but me holding on to him. Left to his own strength, he will certainly slip out of my hand. But if I have determined that he will not fall out of my grasp, he is secure. He can't get away from me if he tried. So it is with Christ. We cling to him to be sure, but our grip is that of a two-year-old amid the stormy waves of life. His sure grasp never falters. Listen, y'all, if you're in Christ, if you know you remain in Christ, sure, you're going to slip sometimes, but you're never out of his grip. He's got you. John's saying, rest in that, rejoice in that. You can, you can know that you remain. In a minute, we're going to stand and sing and, and for believers, just be encouraged as we sing this song about our life being defined by Jesus, what he's done for you, not what you do. Man, rest and rejoice that you remain in him and he in you. But I would say if, if you're looking at these evidences this morning and you're going, 
man, I can't really check any of those off. Like I, maybe you would say, hey, I, I got baptized or I said a prayer, but you're looking at these four that we saw, I think very explicitly in the text. Like, man, I, can't, I can't really say that that's my life. Know that Jesus stands with open arms and nail-pierced hands saying, had died so you can have a relationship with me. So he's not shunning you this morning. If that's, you know, he's inviting you in to know the forgiveness that he offers through the cross, to have hope and life and purpose through him. So you could know this morning that you remain in him by simply turning from your sin and turning to Jesus, saying, Jesus, I, I believe in you and I, I confess you as my Lord and Savior. I trust you to save me. If that's you this morning, maybe you have some questions about what that looks like. Um, there'll be some folks back at the coffee center and back at the welcome center. We'd love to talk with you, love to pray with you about what that is, what it means to trust Christ. Maybe even you're in the, the first group I talked about, you're a believer and you're gonna rest and rejoice in knowing that you remain this morning. Maybe you could just use some encouragement and we could all use some encouragement sometimes. We'll be again back at the back, the coffee and the welcome center and we'd love to, to pray with you. Even just listen if you need somebody to listen to what God's doing in your life or maybe what you feel like he's not doing in your life. <laughs> love to listen to you. I'm gonna pray for us and then we're gonna stand and sing this song together to respond. God, I'm so grateful for this church, this family of believers. God, their, their desire, their hunger to just hear the word, not to hear my opinion, not to hear what's popular, but just to hear what the Bible says, to hear from you. Lord, thank you for teaching us that we can have confidence, excuse me, we can have confidence, we can rest in knowing that we remain in you and you in us. Well, for believers, would you help us rest in knowing that you have a grip on us even when we slip? You still got us. Lord, I pray for those that don't know you this morning that you would draw them to yourself they would understand their life could be defined by who you are and what you've done rather than their broken story. But would you speak to us now? Would you encourage us? Would you help us to worship and respond? So Jesus, we pray, amen. Y'all stand and respond and sing with us, please. If you were encouraged by today's message, subscribe and rate us wherever you stream your podcasts. To learn more about the venue at Southcrest, visit us online at southcrest.org or on Facebook and Instagram by searching for Southcrest Baptist Church. 